Ms. Bowles, would you please state your name for the record? Yes, it's Vanessa Bowles. All right, and what do you do for a living? I work at a school. All right, are you a teacher? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background without going to, into specific addresses or wherever, sort of where you grew up, what your church association was, that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. I grew up in this area, this county, my entire life, was raised strict Southern Baptist. And after going through high school, I went to a Baptist university, University of Mary Hardin Baylor, and then later graduated from Tarleton, and now I'm a school teacher. Right. Um, what does your father do? Or what did he do as you were growing up? Um, he worked various jobs. He worked, um, he was a manager at Firestone, did the tire factory for a while, and then um, later on for a while, he also had his real uh, full-time job, but he also started ministering music, began at our church, First Baptist Church, Troy, and then later went to another one in Belton, then later back to Troy, then to Crossroads, then back to Troy, and after this happened, he decided not to leave music again. All right. Um, when you say Crossroads, are you referring to the Crossroads Baptist Church where Mr. Baker was a preacher? Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, and about when was it that your father took that position? I want to say it was September 2005. I'm not positive, but I really want to say it was September 2005, either September or October. All right. Uh, and is that how you came to know Matt and Carrie Baker? Correct. All right. About approximately when did you meet them? I want to say they came around November. Once again, I'm not positive, but I want to say they came around November when he came to be a possible pastor for the church. All right. Um, during November, did you have very many conversations with him? Mm, not really. Not really. Just the casual, you know, hi, how are you doing? Good sermon today. Things of that nature. Not really. Did he say anything to you in December of 05 that was notable that you remember? He did. One time I was sitting by myself in the church. It was before the service started when no one else had gotten there. My dad was doing the sound check. He came in and he just sat down, started talking to me, you know, just casual, oh, how are you? Started asking me things about my divorce and started telling me, he looked at my daughter and I and said, whoever finds you is going to be a lucky man. All right. And was your divorce recent at that point? It, it was. Actually, it was ongoing. I actually got divorced in December, but I separated in September. Did he say anything else unusual to you during December? Yes, um, sometime in December. Um, I don't remember what the conversation was, but I was talking to someone about, oh, when you guys starting to call me, you know, but I'm getting a divorce. I don't know if I can really feel like I can date again. And he obviously had overheard because later he came by and was kind of smiling. He said, oh, don't date other guys, just date your pastor and kind of smiled. And, and so I just kind of threw back another comment like, oh yeah, haha, ha, laughing, thinking that he was just joking. Um, at some point, did you, did he say anything else after that? Did you Yes, he did. After that, there was um, there was some kind of church potluck. I want to say it was a Christmas potluck that we had. I'm not positive, though. And I was outside getting some food, and he started walking down the hallway. Everyone else was in the recreation area eating, and he kind of motioned for me to walk down that way. I did, and he goes, um, will you really? I said, will, you, what, will I really what? He said, will you really date your pastor? And... I just, I didn't say anything. I just kind of looked at him. He said, well, he said, um, I've had a vasectomy, so I can't get you pregnant. Also, I don't have any STDs. And then I said, 
uh, have you done that before? And he kind of laughed and he said, <laughs> no comment. Then he started laughing again and said, she's completely clueless. He said, I did it one time at Truett Seminary while he was a ministerial student there. He said, I cheated on her then. I cheated on her a couple of times in Dallas, things of that nature. Cool. Yes. I understand just nervous on the witness stand. Mm -hmm. You need to slow down just a little bit. You're okay. talking really fast, and court reporters got to take all okay. this down. So Very sorry. So try to slow down a little okay. bit. At some point, did he begin to call your home? He did. It was around late January, early February. Um, I don't know the exact date, but it was late January, early February. Um, I was at home by myself and he called during the day and I answered the phone and he said that he was calling to leave a message for my dad who at that point was still the music minister who still hadn't left to go to the Troy church yet so he could resume responsibilities there and he called and said that oh he said I was calling to leave a message for Larry he said I didn't know anyone would be at home and I said well I, I stay with my child during the day I go to school at night and he was like oh okay and then he just started talking a little bit for a second and then was like oh well um tell your dad and gave me the message it was something about something that was going to be in the program for the next week i i don't remember what and then um then we hung up then from that point on he knew i was home alone so he started calling me more regularly during the day it, first it just seemed to be innocent things because once again he claimed the next time to leave, he was leaving a message for my dad that's what he claimed he was calling for again and then it got to the point where he started calling regularly usually at least once a day sometimes every other day but usually at least once a day sometimes maybe even two and just started um asking me if I needed counseling for my divorce. He said that he could see all the hardship that I'd been through. He said that, you know, he'd counseled people with divorce before. He said he's lost a child. He knew everything about counseling for hard things that people were going through and God could get you through anything. And so he started counseling me about my divorce so, over the phone. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, so for the first period of time, did y'all have counseling sessions over the phone or were you asking him for advice or was he offering we did. You advice? Yes. It was that he a plethora amount of the time he always referred whatever I was talking to about, oh, I can't believe I would ever be divorced. It's against everything I've ever stood for. That's not what I grew up believing. I grew up thinking that you just didn't do a divorce if you were a Christian. And then he immediately started talking about how God is forgiving God is mysterious, all these kinds of prophecies about God, then he would always daily go into his horror story about his daughter Cassidy who had passed away and started talking about how it was a daily grueling thing to have to go through, talking about he understands pain that I've been through because he was with pain going through that and that his wife was so depressed and was um, a horrible mother was a horrible wife that she didn't take care of the girls and it was because he claimed she was so depressed because of her child who had passed away. And did he say things like that about Carrie frequently or just in one conversation? Frequently. 
it was an everyday thing. He always talked about the Cassidy story. Always. There's not a conversation that went by that he did not talk about that and talked about, oh, how depressed his wife was because of it and that she couldn't get out of bed. She put on a face when she had to go to school. But then she was absolutely horrific at night when she had to go home. She locked herself in the room, wouldn't take care of the girls, that he had to do everything. All right. So he kind of made himself out to be Mr. Mom. Definitely. He did. What what did he tell you about Carrie's relationship with her daughters? He said she was a horrible mother, said that um, she made the girls cry all the time. He said he did everything for them except for do their hair. He said Carrie actually did um, did the girls' hair, but he said other than that, um, that they were always upset that she was a horrible mother and that she never, he never did, she never did anything. Excuse me, Your Honor. Could we have a date as to when we're talking about uh, the question is so broad I couldn't narrow it down? Yeah, yeah could sure. we narrow it down some? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these conversations, can you approximate when these conversations were occurring? They began, uh, they were in February, definitely. Of 2006? Yes, ma'am, 2006. Um, now, when you saw Carrie at church with the girls, mm -hmm. was that your impression? No. She seemed happy. The girls seemed to adore her. She always had a smile on her face. One time at church, whenever it was, I believe it was the anniversary that Cassie passed away, she got up and she did a sign language performance as if it were like a memorial to her daughter. That was not the picture I got of Carrie at all um, from Matt. He made her out to be this complete depressed person. I thought she was the exact opposite. But then it was an everyday thing to her. He really, really was trying to make me believe that she was a horrible person, but that was not the impression I got after seeing her, no. All right. Um, were you and Carrie ever close? We were acquaintances. I would never say that we were close. Um, the only times I saw her were, were, was at church. And, you know, every time we were there, we'd say, oh, hi, talk about, you know, how your week was. The girls would play with my daughter. I talked to the girls, things like that. And talked about school, of course, talked about God. But other than that, no. And once whenever we were leaving, she said, oh, you know, let's let's do lunch sometime. I said, okay, but nothing ever came up with that. We never talked on the phone about it, never made any other plans. So I would say we're acquaintances. I wouldn't say we were friends, no. All right. Um, did the Baker girls seem to be happy and well-adjusted when you saw them playing? They seemed to be. They seemed to be fine. They were always excited to see my daughter there, running up to talk. They always had new rings from Claire's that they said they and their mom had gone to get and everything. They seemed to be extremely happy. All right. So it seemed that she took them shopping into other places and played with them. Oh, yeah. They seemed happy. Okay. Um, at what point did your relationship with Matt start to become something else? He took the conversations that were about the counseling and started turning them into kind of flirtual innuendos. He would start saying things like, you know, oh, you're you're so gorgeous and you have such a beautiful life. I don't know why any guy in their right mind would ever divorce you. Um, you know, God puts us through hard things for reasons and started giving me flirty little things like that. And then he started um, saying things, well, maybe you can come over sometime and we can, you know, talk more, you know, face to face about your divorce. And he stated that he always had Fridays off from Waco Center for Youth, so that that would be good days. And he also started telling me that 
because of Carrie's depression, as he stated, from casting since that was coming up. He said that um, their sex life had been lacking, that he no longer felt love from her anymore, that he had to do everything in the house, that they didn't have sex anymore. He, and that was about all then. Okay, and this would have been about when? This would have been late February, probably, probably late February, maybe early March, but I want to say late February. So by late February, had you begun to go to Matt's house? No, that wasn't until about probably the first weekend in March. I I'm, I'm, haven't looked at a day. I don't know about a calendar. All right. Um, when you started going on Fridays, did you then go essentially every Friday? It wasn't every one. I think there was one that was a spring break in March that I did not go on, but it was, it was about two to three times, yes. All right. And during this time, where was Carrie? Carrie was at work. Where were the Baker girls? They were at school. All right. And this was, this was arranged. You knew that? Um, now I do. <laughs> I didn't at the time. Um, at what point did you begin to start parking in the garage when you went to the Baker house on Fridays? I think it was the second time I was over there. The first time I think I parked out on the street, I think it was the second time that I parked in the garage. Did you find that unusual or? I, I didn't really find that unusual. That was a point in my life I wasn't thinking straight. So are you trying to make excuses now for the decisions that you made then? Absolutely not. I own everything. Um, what happened then in in early March as you and Matt started to spend Fridays at the Baker home? Um, it started off, you know, um, talking about my divorce, doing what I thought, sorry, doing what I thought I was there for, for the counseling, things of that nature. And he started, you know, quoting scripture, things like that, making me believe that God could pull you through anything. And once again, he touched on the Cassidy story, that is deceased daughter, and about how he touched on that all the time and about how someone's been through such grief as he had losing a child that I could definitely get through this. And so it just started like that. And then he asked if he could hold my hands to pray. And he did. Then afterwards, he started to kiss me. All right. Did you kiss him back? No. I was more surprised and shocked than Very anything. Very first time. Yeah. All right, and this would have been in what, early March? Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Of 2006? Yes, ma'am, ma'am. Of 2006? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, where did things progress from there? Um, that day. That day. Uh -huh. um, then he just took my hand and led me to the bedroom. All right, and so y'all had sex in his and Carrie's bedroom? Yes. All right, that very first time. All right. Um, what did he say after that, after, after the first time y'all had sex? I was extremely remorseful. I couldn't, couldn't believe what just happened. It, that's all. It, it happened. And I didn't know how I could have let that just happen. And he started saying that, oh, you don't need to feel bad, saying that he didn't, that, and once again started touching on God again, saying that God was such a forgiving God doesn't matter what anyone does. He started saying, it's okay. Don't feel bad. Just ask God to forgive you. It's okay. And he said, in reality, he said, I don't think God believes that anyone can just be with one person the rest of their lives. 
right. Did he say anything about caring? Um, he said that he referred to her, sorry, he referred to her as a fat bitch, said that he couldn't stand how fat she had gotten, said that he wanted her out of his life. And by mid-March, what was he saying about his marriage? Saying it was horrible, stating that her depression had begun to sunk in because it was the time period that Cassidy was, you know, had been deceased. He said that she had started to lock herself in her room. He had told me that she had taken sleeping pills every night since Cassidy had passed away and that, that, and that she had to have one of those to get to sleep. And he stated, too, that one time when they lived in, I don't know if it was Riesel or Axtell, I don't remember when, but he said that um, Carrie tried to commit suicide by taking the sleeping pills, and he said he had to take the pills from her hand, and he stated that her mother knew that knew of this instance that she tried to commit suicide. And he said around mid-March that he felt like he had cheated death when he had taken the pills out of her hand. He felt like he had cheated death, that maybe that was the time she was supposed to die. And now you don't know whether any of these things actually happened, but these are no. the things that Matt was telling you. Correct. I don't know if they're true or not, but that's what he told me. And at the time, were you buying into what he was telling you about Carrie? I was buying into everything. He was a complete, and still is, a manipulative liar who took me my vulnerable state and made me believe everything he said. Now, you're not saying that if, at that time you were pure as the driven snow, right? Oh, no. But, but you were vulnerable at that point. Of course. You were going through a bad divorce, mm -hmm. raising a baby by yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And you said that in March he said something about finding a way out of the marriage? Correct. What did he say about that? Um, he said that he, um, if he, if we ever fell so much in love that he would find a way out of it. And he said that since she had attempted suicide before, he said he may be able to make it look like she committed suicide. Did you ask him what about divorce for, for him and for Carrie? I did. And... He kind of contradicted himself whenever I asked him, why don't you just get a divorce? And first he said that he would never preach again, probably, because in the Baptist faith and the Christian faith, you're really not supposed to get a divorce. So he said that he would never preach again, especially not at Crossroads where her family went. And then he also said there would probably be a custody battle for the children. But that was odd because earlier he had told me that Carrie was so depressed and she talked about leaving him several times. And he stated that she had told him maybe it'd be better if I just signed over my rights and you take the girls. So he kind of contradicted himself because he was saying then that there would be a custody battle for the girls. But earlier he said <laughs> that Carrie told him that she would have signed over her rights. So that's what he said about that. So again, you don't know that Carrie actually said that. You no. just knew that he was trying to reel you in. Definitely. Right. I doubt she ever said that. But he made it clear that his <coughs> he couldn't divorce? Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, I did not hear. I'm sorry, I asked if he made it clear that as a preacher he could not divorce. And I believe her response was yes. Yes. Okay. Um, now, you said that when he told you the story that he told you about what he claimed happened in Riesel with Carrie, that he said that he felt like he had cheated death because maybe he had saved her life or intervened and he should have just let her die? Exactly. At what point did he start talking about planning her murder? 
it was shortly after that. It was sometime mid-March, I would say. Um, he started talking about things he could do. He said that, you know, she took sleeping pills every night, so maybe he could make it look like she overdosed on sleeping pills. He talked initially about maybe putting something in a milkshake because he said she liked milkshakes, so he was thinking about maybe putting sleeping medication in there and having her drink that. Okay. Did he talk about any other ideas he had? Mm -hmm. He talked about making it look like she'd hung herself, maybe um, having her hanging somewhere and leaving a note making it look like she'd hung herself. He talked about tampering with the brakes of her car. He had talked about maybe doing a drive-by shooting. And one night, maybe a week or so after that, after he talked about tampering with her brakes, she was late. He said that the night before she was late coming back home from teaching college. And he said he started to get excited thinking maybe she really did have a wreck and he wouldn't have to do anything. All right. Um, did he try to order anything online? He did. He told me that he ordered chloroform online. He stated that he did order chloroform online. He told me he started looking Ambien up online. He told me he also started looking for um, Rufi. And what is Rufi? It's the date rape drug. He said he started looking for that online. And he, he claimed that he ordered what he thought was the Rufi, but when he got it, he said that it didn't look like it was what he purchased, so he called some woman at the company where he ordered it from, and he asked her if that's what it was, and he said he kind of caught, he kind of started laughing as because he said that he offended her, that she started getting, acting really offended and saying, like, no, that that is not what this is. We don't sell that kind of stuff and everything. So, you know, she got really offended that he was asking if that's what he had purchased. And is Brohypnol another name for the date rape drug? I have no Rufy. idea. Okay, so you just knew it as Rufy. Yes. All right. Um, oh, he also said that he drove to the bad area in Waco one time asking um, some people on the side of the street if they had any Rufy for him to purchase. All right. Um, at some point, did you said that he had mentioned putting something into Carrie's drink. Right. Um, did he tell you how he was going to set up this scene? He didn't tell me how then. He just said that he was going to put something in her milkshake because she liked them. And he didn't tell me how he was going to set up after that. But he did say that he was just going to put something in a milkshake. All right. Uh, one to two weeks before Carrie's death, did he tell you that he had, in fact, tried that? Uh, he did. He sent an email and said she did not drink the drink. And also said that, you know, she didn't drink. He said she took she took a sip of it and said that it tasted like lead. And so then he said he took a drink and said, oh, well, the ice cream must have been bad. All right. Did he tell you what he had put in that drink? No. Okay. Um, at some point, you said that he had talked about setting it up to look like a suicide. Did you guys discuss that? Um... No, we didn't discuss it till what he told me the week after she died. Okay. You knew that he was trying to kill her and had already made efforts? Yes. Okay. So you were somewhat implicit in all of this? For keeping my mouth shut and not doing the right thing, yes, I was. Right. Um, did he say something to you at some point about planning to type her suicide note? He did. He mentioned that he would leave a note, and he said that he would type it, and I said, that's never going to work. You're going to be caught. And he said, oh, no, she types everything. 
All right. What else did he say about that? Um, that's that's all he said about the note at that point. He told me something else about it later, the week after she passed away. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. But did he say something else about um, what what he believed other people thought about her mental state? Oh, he said that every there would be no question about it. He said everyone knew how depressed she was. He said um, everyone knew he was the Mr. Mom at home. Everyone knew that she was so depressed because of Cassidy and that no one would question it because of how depressed she was. All right. Excuse me, Your Honor, but could we say when these conversations take place? These were in, yeah. in March. Your Honor, I think I said a week or two before Carrie's death. All right. Did he tell you where he was going to get the pharmaceuticals that he wanted if he couldn't get them online? Um, yes, he told me that Linda Doolin had a pharmacy in her house. He said that she had almost every drug on the face of the planet, and he said Carrie had a key of the house and to the Doolin's house. He said it wouldn't be hard for him to get the key and go in on a Friday when everyone else is at work and he has the day off and get some drugs from there. All right. Um, during the couple of weeks before Carrie's death, was Carrie trying to work on her marriage with Matt? It seems like it was. From what he said, it sounded like they were. Um, he said that um, about the weekend before, it was her turn to um, create a date night for them to go on. And he said that she had bought lingerie um, the week before and had surprised him with that. So, And he said that he was doing the husbandly duty by having sex with her during those date nights. How did he say that Carrie appeared when she surprised him with the lingerie? He referred to her saying she looked like a fat bitch. That's what he referred to saying about Carrie. Did he indicate to you whether her date night had been successful? He really didn't. He just said that he was doing the husbandly duty. And then he said later she had sent him an email saying something along the lines of, I tried to make it special, but so I don't remember. But I know that he said that she said, um, I tried to make it special, but now it's your turn this next week. Are you up for it? Did you get the impression then that maybe it had not been successful? I did. Um, As you're nearing the week of her death, what did he tell you his plan for that weekend's date night was? He told me that he was going to get some alcohol, the kind that she liked to drink. And he said he was thinking about getting some Ambien and maybe putting them inside some pills and then having her drink it. That's really all he told me about that. All right. Um, so let's move forward then to April 7th of 2006. This is Carrie's last day of life. Mm -hmm. All right. On that morning, what, what did you know? Did you and Matt talk that morning? He called and just kept telling me. He didn't tell me anything about what he was playing. He just called me and told me how depressed she was. It was not a very long phone conversation. He started telling me how depressed she was, that everything was going horrible. And that was about it. Did you talk to him again the rest of the day? No. All right. Um, what happened the next morning? Next morning, my mom woke me up. She said that someone from Crossroads had called us and told us Carrie Baker had died. <laughs> I was shocked because I think a part of me thought that maybe he wouldn't go through with it. And 
then after that, we got in the car and we went to the Doolins to offer our condolences. And as we left, he was taking his daughter, Grace, outside to look at some dogs that someone was walking by. And as we drove by, we, we waved at him and I was in the back seat. I looked out the back seat and waved and he winked at me. All right. And this is a matter of hours after Carrie's death. Yes. All right. Um, you went to the visitation. I did not go to the visitation. I went to the funeral. All right. You went to the funeral. That's Monday. I, I'm not sure. I believe so. Okay. Um, you went with your parents, I guess. I did. All right. Did you have any long conversations or private conversations with him at the funeral? No. All right. Um, did you talk to him on Tuesday? Tuesday. I believe it was a phone conversation. Okay. Um, when was the next time that you saw him in person? I, I think it was the next day, that Wednesday. Okay. Wednesday, that probably would have been April 12th of 2006? Must have been. All right. Where did you see him in person? At his house. All right. You, you went to the Baker home? Yes. Um, what happened when you got there? I got there. I couldn't believe he'd actually gone through it. And first, before he told me the story, he said, you know you're stuck with me now, right? He said that. And he said that, you know, you're stuck with me, right? Because you knew, you knew about it. So you're just, you're just as much guilty. And God is a forgiving God. He'll forgive you for knowing about this as he has forgiven me. And he stated also that if I were to ever say anything, that no one would believe me because he was a preacher and pretty much that no one would believe me. And then he told me that, he said, I'm going to tell you what happened that night one time. Then he said, I never want to talk about it again. What did he tell you happened that night? He told me that Carrie had taken a drink of the alcohol at home earlier. I'm guessing he put something in it. He didn't specify. He said that they went to the Y, that, he, that she threw up on the treadmill, and that they went home later, and that she said she wasn't feeling very good, but she was still up for the date night. He said earlier that day he had gotten big horse pills, which were sex stimulus pills, which you're supposed to take to increase sexual something. He said he had, they were capsules that you could open. He said, he said they were horse pills. He said he emptied out all the contents and put crushed Ambien in them that he got from Linda Doolin's house. He told me that he put a load, of, a something load. He told me he put a load of Ambien in there. I don't know how many pills it was, but he said that he crushed it up, put them inside the sex stimulus pill capsules. He had them over to one side, and he took the real sex stimulus pills, and, but he had them separated, so she would be sure to take the ones with Ambien in them, and that he would take the ones that were the non-Ambien. They took them with alcohol. I don't know how much time passed. He said then, they went back to the bedroom. He said he bought some handcuffs and some other toys like that. He said he handcuffed her to the bed, started kissing her and touching her all over. And he said, I don't know if he took her clothes off or not. He never specified. Then he said he kept doing that until she fell asleep. He said then, whenever he did that, he said he kissed her on the forehead and either, I don't know which one, he said he either said, give Cassidy a hug for me or give Cassidy a kiss for me. Then he said he got the pillow and put it over her face. 
There's Kleenex. That one? Got one. Okay. Right. What did then, he say happened next? Next, he said that he thought she was dead. He took. I'm sorry. Did you say he thought? He said he thought she was dead. Yes. Did Did she die immediately, or I mean, you said he put the pillow over her face. What did Did she wake up? Yes. Okay. Tell us about that. He said that he thought she was dead, so he stopped, and then I don't know how long. He said she wasn't breathing. A couple of seconds later. She just took one big gasp for air, and that he said, oh shit. And then he showed me his hand. He said he put the pillow on her face, but then he said he did this with his hand where her nose was, where her nose and mouth were. He said he did this area tighter so he would be sure to suffocate her. All right, now the first time he put the pillow on her face, you said that she woke up a little bit. Did she move at all? He said she like moved her head back and forth a little bit. All right. Um, and then she succumbed pretty quickly, and she thought he, he thought that she was dead at that point? Correct. Okay. Then he lifted the pillow off her face, and what did she do? And she took one, she like took one big gasp. He said like one big gasp for air. Did he say whether her eyes came open at that point? He didn't. He just said she just took one big ass for air, and he said, oh, shit, and then put the pillow back on her face, except he did this with his hand to be sure that he suffocated her. All right. Uh, once he was sure that she was dead, what did he tell you that he did next? He told me then he went to his computer. He said he typed out the suicide note. Now you're talking about the computer in the bedroom? Yes. <coughs> he said he typed out the suicide note, printed it. Then he said he took the suicide note got her hand and he said that he ran it her hand all around the sides of it and put her fingerprints all over it in case they checked for fingerprints then he said that he set everything up I don't all I saw was the crime scene photos I don't know exactly what he set up I'm guessing it was the bottle and the drinks but he said that he set everything up locked the door and left did you get the impression that he took some time in the bedroom after he killed her? Absolutely. Did he tell you that he changed clothes and... He didn't say anything like that, but led me to believe he was not in a rush. He stayed there for some while? I believe so. All right. And he told you that he locked the bedroom door on the way out? Yes. Did he tell you why? Um, he didn't tell me why, but just thinking about it, I'm guessing so if the kids woke up, they wouldn't be able to find their mother. That's just for me thinking, but he didn't tell me why, no. And then he left the little girls alone in the house with their dead mother for how long did he tell you? Um, well, he said that there were fans on in their room, so they couldn't hear anything. Then he said he went to get gas and to rent the movie they'd seen on their first date. He said it was about a mother who was horrible to their children. It reminded him of Carrie. He said that then he came back home. He said it was about 45 minutes. Okay. Did he say that? Did, do you remember the name of that movie? When a Man Loves a Woman. All right. And you said it's about a, a mother who's horrible to her children? I've never seen it, but you that's what he it. said it was about. Okay. And he said it reminded him of Carrie, a mother who was horrible to her children. He said it was what they'd see on their first date together. All right. Um, what did he say happened when he got back? When he got back, he said he checked the door. It was still locked. He told me he bust open the door. He told me he broke it down. Then he said he saw her laying there and called 911. He said he called 911 and that 
he moved her to the floor to start CPR and he said he told the 911 operator that he had to put clothes on her and the operator was saying something like no don't worry about that and he said she he was just yelling oh no she'll care she will care and then he said moments after that was when someone came to the door he did, did he seem surprised that somebody got to the house so quickly he was extremely surprised I think he anticipated more time now, at any point, did you touch the note or the bottle that were found in Carrie and Matt's bedroom? No, not at any point whatsoever. Um, so after he told you this, did you continue to be in a relationship with him for some period of time? We were never really in a relationship. I think I was more, I was more worried about myself then because not only had I known about this and not done the right thing, in truth, who would believe me? He was a preacher. And so I felt like I was stuck. And I thought, as long as I didn't care about being in love anymore, I just wanted to be safe. And I know that sounds ironic, but I was like, as long as someone's good to me, I don't, I don't care about being in love. I don't care about being attracted to someone because I wasn't in love with him. I wasn't attracted to him. I just. Ironically, felt that I would be safe. That he was a preacher, even though he killed his wife. Has it not occurred to you that if he killed one wife, he might kill another? I thought he would, but he promised me that he would be so happy that he would never do that. That he'd never hurt you. Yes. Did Matt continue to wear his wedding his wedding ring after this? He took it off immediately. Were there any other changes in his appearance that you remember? Um, he said he he said that his girls wanted him to go get a whole new wardrobe and asked if I would help them go shopping for it. So we went shopping. He said he wanted to change and look like he was happier now. So he said he wanted like some cooler clothes and that his daughter stated that he needed a new look. So um, we went and bought like some new clothes and he, he started doing his hair different too. All right. Um, at some point, did you and Matt take the girls and go to K Jewelers in the mall? We did. He stated that the girls wanted to go look at wedding rings for me. Not earrings for the girls? No, that story is complete bogus. I read about that in the Waco Tripping Herald. We never went there for earrings. Okay, so tell the jury about your trip to K's. Okay, we went inside, and he said the girl, well, and the girls got my hand and said, let's go, you know, look at wedding rings for you. I'm sure he had told them things or coached them to say things. Um, we went in and he was asking someone behind the jewelry counter about a trade-in. He said he could have some kind of trade-in for a weighing ring. He said he had one. He wanted to know what he could trade in and so and how much he could possibly get off or get a discount on, the, on another ring. And, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but are you telling the jury that he was prepared at this point a week or two after Carrie's death to trade in Carrie's wedding set? to get you a ring that you wanted? Correct. Okay, go ahead. And tried on a couple of rings. I wasn't expecting anything like that, and then we left. Okay, but you do remember that you tried on rings Correct. there in the, yes. in the jewelry store with him. Okay, and at no point was the idea of going there to get anything for the little girls. Y'all specifically went to look at wedding sets. Correct.
At some point, did you and Matt go house hunting? We did. He said that he wanted to get out of out of Waco. He said that the Doolins were just being absolutely horrible to him. He said that. About when is this? Um, late April, early May. All right. So matter of weeks. Yes. All right. And he said that everyone, um, some people were starting to, you know, point fingers at him. He said he was ready for a fresh start. He even took his girls with him to go check out Lorena schools and check out Troy schools. And then he started looking at houses. Um, he looked at a couple in Troy. I think he looked at one in Temple. He looked at several in Waco and I think one in, I think a few in Lorena. Not positive, but yes. All right. Um, did you ever talk to Matt about what happened to his computer at the Waco Center for Youth? I did. Um, whenever things started coming up, that it had gone missing and everything, he said that he got rid of it. Why did he tell you that he got rid of it? He said he did internet searches about sleeping pills, things of that nature. How did he, he said, tell you he got rid of it? He said initially when he heard that they may be suspicious, he said he switched the serial numbers and put his computer in his secretary's office. He said then later when he found out they may be coming to look for it that he took it and he said he got rid of it. Didn't tell me where he put it. He just said he got rid of it. All right. Did you ever talk to him about his home computer and printer? Yes. He told me he donated both of those to his dad in Kerrville. He told me he donated both the computer and printer to his father in Kerrville. He said he needs a new one so I'm just going to give this to him. At some point later, did you suggest to him that he provide that computer and printer to the police? Yes, and he um, stayed like, no, my dad really needs a new computer. That's, that's not necessary. And he just kind of blew it off. Did he tell you why he got rid of that computer? He didn't tell me, but i known that that was what he had used to print off the suicide note. That's what he told me in that conversation. Because on Wednesday, April 12th, he, he had told already me. told you that mm -hmm. he printed that he the typed that note on yes. the home computer and printed it off on the home printer? Yes. Okay. Um, by July of 2006, were you becoming pretty unhappy with this situation? I was. Not only did I have enormous guilt in me, things, people were really starting to, you know, talk about him and how he possibly could have done it. Then things about his past started surfacing and, and without getting into any specific acts from his past did you did you begin to realize that maybe he wasn't telling even you the truth about some things yes okay um and did you say that you were being beginning to feel somewhat trapped by the knowledge that you had of what he had done i was i felt trapped i didn't know if anyone would believe me even though they were looking at him i was afraid that then something would happen to me for withholding information and not telling anyone. And also, I was afraid that I knew that if I told that, that the affair would come out. And I was ashamed of that. So I kept my mouth shut until I had to talk. All right, and we're gonna talk about that in a second. But first, let's talk about a day in July of 2006 when you were at the Starbucks. Which Starbucks was that? Starbucks and Temple, the North one. Um, did you call Matt? I did, I decided that I didn't care what he told me anymore, that we didn't worship the same God. And I decided I was gonna call him and I was gonna end things because I realized that he couldn't do anything to me because he would never admit guilt. 
just like he still hasn't. I knew he would never admit guilt, so I called him. I told him, I never want to see you again. I don't want you to ever contact me again. Nothing. It's over, and I said that he needed to turn himself in. Then I told him I heard that they had exhumed Carrie's body. I'd been told that, I think, the night before. And he became my rape. He started saying, I killed my wife for you, and now you're leaving. He just kept repeating that over and over, and I'm not sure how much time went by, but then I heard what sounded to be a car door shut. And it sounded like he was running. I asked him where he was. He said he was at the cemetery to see if they messed with Carrie's grave. What did he say next? Um, he, I started telling him, repeating to him again, you need to turn yourself in. You know, we don't worship the same God. And I guess he got in there because he said, yeah, it looks like they've messed with hers. Then he said, I need to go see if they messed with Cassidy's. And did he tell you that then he went to... Cassidy's grave? Yes. He said then he went to Cassidy's, and then he said, no, it doesn't look like they messed with hers. All right. Then, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and then I said, I'm hanging up now, and he said, well, can I at least say goodbye to you? Just in a normal voice, like nothing had just happened. And I hung up, and I threw the phone away. Um... And I neglected to ask you earlier, what, what phone were you on when you were having this conversation with Matt? I was on the second phone that he gave me. He gave me one phone shortly after his wife's death. And because he said, I just don't want it to look like I'm moving on too fast, but here's, here's a cell phone just so we can talk more often. I said, okay. There was no memory in it. It looked completely new, and even the little tie was wrapped around the, the charger. And it looked completely new. And then when it was shut off a while later, I said, why why, is, why did my phone get shut off? He said, well, he said, it was under the Doolin's plan. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, then he told me it was Carrie's cell phone that he had given me. Okay. So all of the phone records from the Doolin's with the extensive number of phone calls for weeks between you and Matt that was actually on Carrie's cell phone and, and yes. Matt on his. Yes. All right. Um, and after the Doolins cut off that service, then he provided you with another phone. Right. He went back into AT&T and got new phones that very day. And is that second phone the phone that you threw away there at the Starbucks? Correct. Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, now, on August 3rd of 2006, did you give an interview to Ben Toombs at the Hewitt Police Department? I did. All right. Um, did he ask you about all these things that you've explained to us? Um, he didn't ask me. He asked me about some things, not on everything, and I denied knowing anything. And then that day, it turned. I denied everything. And then, because, like, of the same reasons I said before, I knew the affair would come out. I was afraid I'd get prosecuted for knowing what he was going to do and not reporting it. I still didn't think anyone would believe me. So you lied to Ben Toombs? Yes, I did. And to the other officers who were there trying to help him interview I you? I did, yes. You, did you tell the truth about the affair? I know I didn't admit to it. Okay. Did you tell the truth about knowing about Carrie's death beforehand? No, I did not. Did you tell the truth about, about Matt's admitting to you how it all happened after Carrie's death? No, I did not. Um, 
did they talk to you about maybe doing a recorded phone call with Matt to see if you could get him to admit it on the phone? They did. They said they were they would think about me doing a record phone call, but Ben said he had to check on the legalities of that. Did that ever come about? No. Um, now, a few days later, you spoke with either John Bennett or Mike McNamara, one of the investigators for the Doolins? That's correct. Or possibly to both of them? It was both of them, yes. Did you tell them the truth? Um, I told them the truth about everything except for I denied we had an affair and I denied knowing anything about any of the murder. Okay, so, so I denied you, both of those things. You denied the affair. You denied prior knowledge of the murder. I did. You denied um, what you knew about how the murder had occurred. I did. In uh, any later conversations that you had with Matt about him, <coughs> you admitted having Carrie's phone. I did. I believe I did. Not positive. And you admitted some other sort of side issues, but you lied yes. about the crux of, of all of this. Yes, I did. All right. Um, the day after you talked to the Doolin's investigators, did you have a last conversation with Matt? Yes. Um, a, I received a call at my house from a payphone. I picked it up, and it was the creepiest conversation of my life. He sounded completely normal. He said, hello, like that, and I said, I literally started having a panic attack. I said, what are you doing contacting me? I told you never contact me again. And in that time, since I spoke to him last, I found out from the Hewitt PD and some other people about other things he'd lied to me about, including his past and including the present, other things he'd lied to me about. And I told him, I just was irate. I just kept repeating, why are you calling me? Why are you contacting me? And I began to cry. And he said, I just wanted to know, how, how are you? He was, in, he was completely normal, as if nothing had happened. He said, I just wanted to see how you were. How are you doing? I miss you. And I started crying, and I said, you've got to turn yourself in. And he said, God has forgiven me. And then he said, um, he just said, well, I just really, you know, I really miss you. I really want to talk to you. He said, it's on the paper down here. It's a complete nightmare. And he said. You said down here. Had he, by this point, moved to Kerrville? Yes. He said it was in the papers down there in Kerrville, and that was a complete nightmare. He, and then I told him again that he needed to turn himself in. He repeated God had forgiven him. And then there were some issues that I had heard about. I'd heard that Carrie had found from the Hute PD, they said that Carrie had found crushed pills in his briefcase. I asked him, I said, did Carrie find crushed pills in your briefcase? And he said, oh no, those were for her. Makes no sense, but that's what he said. He said, no, those were for her. This is an August 2006 conversation. Yes, the last time I ever spoke to him. Yeah, he had had prior conversations with you about those pills. Only once before, but he never admitted having them. Okay. Uh, the once before, was it shortly after he had the conversation with Linda about it? It was. He told me that um, Linda had confronted him that her counselor, Dwayne Bristol, um, stated that Carrie had found crushed pills in his briefcase, and she asked him for an explanation. He said he just stood up and became completely irate with her and started saying, you need to have enough respect 
for your deceased daughter and for my deceased wife. We don't need people pointing fingers here and then he said he left. All right. That was what he told you initially? Yes. All right. So then in this August 2006, I'm sorry, did you? What I can't figure out is you jump back to a conversation and I don't know when that conversation took place. It was, I th Your Honor, she suggested or she testified that it was immediately after he had the conversation with, with Linda Doolin. Ma'am, can you kind of put a time frame on that conversation with Ms. Doolin? Um, I want to say, I want to say it was April, April, maybe, May, I'm not positive. May I proceed, John? You might. So at that point, you asked him about the pills and he said those were for her? He said no, those were for her. And then I just told him that, I said, I'm gonna hang up and after I do, I'm calling the Hewitt PD and the Doolin's investigators and tell them that you called me. And he said, well, the whole time, he was completely calm. He said, well, if you feel like you need to do that, okay. Like nothing had happened. And then um, I told him, I said, you really need to turn yourself in or I'm gonna tell what you did. And he said, you better not do that. In that, in that creepy tone, he said, Vanessa, you really better not do that. And I thought, and that's when I, I started crying. And then he said, well, hopefully after this is all over, I can give you a hug. And I hung up the phone. All right. Now, when he was talking about moving to Kerrville, this was after you and he had been looking for houses together and Troy and Correct. Lorena? Yes. All right. So about when would it have been that he decided to move back to Kerrville? Um, I want to say it was just a few weeks before I stopped talking to him. All right. Um, did you want to go to Kerrville with him? No. He asked me to move with him. He said, just leave all your stuff here. We'll get you everything new. And I said, no. All right. At some point then, were you contacted by Mark Hanna, an investigator for, for Guy James Gray? I was. I want, I want to say it was December 2006, early 2007. I'm not positive on the date though. Um, I was contacted by Mark Hanna. He called and I started breakdown crying. I didn't want to talk to him. And then he said he asked some questions and he told me that things of the nature like 2020 had been contacted to do a story about it. Did you tell and Mr. Hanna the truth about the affair or the murder no. or any of the pertinent facts? I completely facts? denied everything. <clears throat> um, did someone else then contact you after that? After that, then Guy James Gray contacted me. Okay. And did you tell him the truth? No, I did not. Did he want a statement from you, or what was the purpose? I thought we were just talking on the phone. I didn't know I was actually giving him a statement. I thought I was just talking to him about it, but I did. I denied everything as I had before. Okay, so you lied to him too? Yes, I did. Um, then on January 27th of 2009, do you remember talking to Abden Rodriguez, an, an investigator in the McLennan County District Attorney's Office? I do. And that interview was at the McLennan County Sheriff's Office in That's an correct. interview room? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, did you tell Abden the truth? Um, I told him the truth except for everything about the case. I completely denied everything. Okay, so you denied the affair, 
denied the affair, denied knowing about it, denied knowing what happened. Okay. Before and after the murder? Yes. Okay. Um, I think you told him maybe in that interview about Kenzie's birthday party a little bit? I think I did, yes. But you denied having sex with Matt on that denied. night? Mm -hmm. um, you were still denying shopping for the rings? Excuse me, Your Honor. Leading questions, I prefer her answer. Sustained. Okay. Can, can you remember what, if anything, you told him the truth about? Um, about all the lies, about all the times he had every conflicting story he'd ever told me. Told him about things afterwards that I found out he had lied to me about. And basically everything else. I just completely denied the affair. Denied knowing about it. Denied knowing how it happened. And by it, you're referring to the murder? Yes. All right. Then um, on March 25th of 2009, were you subpoenaed to testify before the McLennan County Grand Jury? Yes, ma'am, I was. All right. Were you given uh, testimonial immunity at that time? Yes, I was. What's your understanding of that agreement? Testimonial immunity, it just means that anything I said that day in court could not be used against me. All right. And did you tell the entire truth on that day? I didn't lie. However, I did not tell the whole story. I told them that he had killed his wife for me, but I did not tell them how he did it. So at that point, you were still sticking to the story that you and Matt had originally? Or, or, or the story that, that Matt has always told about coming home and finding her dead? Um, actually, that was never asked. Okay. Um, in grand jury, did you tell the truth about having an affair with Matt before Carrie's death? Uh, no, I did not. Um, did you tell the truth about knowing about Matt's plans to kill Carrie? No. I don't think I was ever asked, though. Did you tell the truth about not knowing that he had killed Carrie until June or July of that year? That's correct. I'm sorry. No, that's correct. I did say that I didn't know about it until July. That's you correct. Said that you did not know about it until July? Until the phone call. That's correct. Okay. Um, then on March 31st, a week later, 2009, do you remember having an interview uh, with your attorney, Bruce Burleson, in, in Belton? with Abdon Rodriguez, also again from our office. Mm -hmm. At that point, did you did you tell the story that you had told in grand jury or did you give more truthful detail? It was it was the same thing I told in grand jury. However, that day I did admit to the affair. Okay. And on that day, did you talk again about the birthday party at Matt's house? I don't recall if I did or not. Okay. Um, we haven't really talked about that party. Mm -hmm. Was that party about two weeks after Carrie's death? Yes, it was. What, what, what do you remember about that? He asked me, well, actually, he and the girls had been over a week earlier for an Easter egg hunt. And one of the girls asked me, Kenzie asked me, um, I need another chaperone for the party. Can you come? I thought that was kind of odd because of them seeing our church, I wasn't really close to her. So I said, well, sure, sure, I'll come because I know all about doing parties, decorations, and everything. So I got there, and nothing was set up. So I set up everything. And then um, when we got there, Matt said, 
Vanessa, he said, you've got to ride with me in the limo to go pick up the girls. He said, because, he said, Jenny, the other girl at the party, he said, she has a crush on me. And now since Carrie died, um, she's been giving me all these little hints and everything. And I don't want to be by myself um, in the limo with her. So will you please ride, ride with me? So I said, sure, sure, I'll go with you. And so I believed him about that. And so we went and picked up the girls from the schools. I realize now how bad that looked. I just don't think I was thinking right then. Then um, went back to the house, started eating, playing games, things of that nature. Did you and notice at that point that the house had changed since Carrie's, since Carrie's death? You had been in the house while Carrie was alive. Mm -hmm. um, it hadn't really changed much, but he put pictures of me and pictures of the girls and I, when they came over to the house for the Easter egg, he put those all over the fridge. Okay. Were pictures of Carrie still up where they had always been? You know, I don't recall if there had ever been pictures of Carrie up. I know there have been pictures of the girls up on the fridge. I'm not positive that there had ever been, but everything that was on the fridge was down. He put pictures of me and the girls up. Okay. You weren't familiar enough with the rest of the house to know no. where photos may have been? No. Okay. Uh, which is not to say you hadn't been in the bedroom. I had been. Okay. Because when you had sex with Matt at the house, that's generally where it was. Mm -hmm. It was in their bed? Yes. Okay. And then on the night of the party, who were the other chaperones? Uh, Todd and Jenny Muncie, I think that's how you pronounce it. All right. Um, did they stay overnight? Um, they did. And then whenever we all started watching a movie, all the girls... Judge, we're so close to through. If we could just finish her direct, I All think. All right. Wait just a second, jury. We're going to take a break very quickly here. I'm sorry, Jen. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. So did they end up spending the entire night? They were going to, but then whenever it was late, I'd say about two or three, we all started watching a movie. Um, I was on the couch. Matt was next to me. All the girls were on the floor, on the couch, on chairs all around us. And then I think that's when Todd left. And then when the movie started, you know, the lights were off and everything, Matt put a pillow on his lap, and I think I was kind of nodding off, and he said, well, you, you look tired, just go ahead and put your head, your head down right here. And considering there were girls around, you know, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that, so I did put my head on his lap. There was a pillow on his lap, and I did put my head on the pillow, yes. Okay. Shortly after that, did, did Jenny, the last chaperone, leave then? Yeah, when she saw that, she got up and said, I'm leaving, and left. Um, and I was under the suspicion that she had a crush on him, so that was why. Because right. that's what he had told me. Where did you and Matt sleep that night? Um, we didn't go to sleep afterwards. We went to um, Grace's room and just talked till the sun came up. Then it was time to make breakfast for the girls. Okay. Do you remember telling uh, Abden Rodriguez on March 31st of 2009, 2009 that you and Matt had sex that night in the baker's bedroom? The night of Kenzie's party. If that's why I said then that's probably legit. Okay. I'll pass the witness, Sean. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's take our morning break. Remember the course instructions.